Welcome to Frost & Sullivan's Growth, Innovation, and Leadership Briefing. Today's event is titled Mobility Autonomous Platforms. What you need to know now to prepare for the future. Our presenters today are Benny Daniel. He's our business unit leader here at our mobility practice. And also joining us is Arun Nanakumar. He's our head of autonomous driving in the mobility practice as well. Their biographies can be viewed on your screen at this time. I'd like to hand the presentation over to Benny. Thank you so much, Anna. Very good morning, good afternoon to everybody here. Uh, glad that all of you could make it here today. I think yeah, we are in a very interesting part in the, in the automotive ecosystem. Uh, the cost between actually going towards a connected autonomous shed and an electric uh, uh, business model and ecosystem world. So I think in the industry in general, I think the word case has been used often. In fact, I would say it's been abused. Uh, but when you look at case in general, uh, we talk about it from a technology integration perspective. But that's not what the presentation today here is about. The presentation is about if you need these technologies to come together, the fundamental and the most important investment that the OEMs need to make is a platform. And for us, that platform is defined as a combined EV and autonomous platform. So the question and the key message that we want to give over here is, if the automotive industry does not invest in the so-called EV and autonomous platform, then the world that they envisage which is, an, which is a world of uh, services revolving around mass and around case, then this is likely not to realize its complete fruition. So ladies and gentlemen, please sit back because today the presentation revolves around what does Frost & Sullivan define as the EV autonomous platforms? What are the ingredients that will go into this? Essentially, what are the layers that will define this? How do we expect this expensive or this cost proposition to be deployed, whether in a usership world and an ownership world? And lastly, what does that mean in terms of each and every one of you? What are the opportunities that the EV autonomous platform out there is, is proposing? So, gentlemen, ladies, let's start with the, the first one, which is what does Frost & Sullivan define as an EV autonomous platform? Essentially, we believe it comprises of four individual building layers or building blocks with the first layer being what we call as the electric platform now these electric platform as you can see on the right hand side can vary between a conventional platform that is platforms that exist today but that has been re-engineered mainly from a co2 compliance point of view best example is what you see with the gm volt or for example the nissan leaf they are not built from scratch but they are existing platforms that have been re-engineered, so there is a CO2 compliance that goes with it. But we believe that's not where the industry is heading or needs to head. And that's the extreme right-hand side of layer one is what we call as a dedicated platform or what some industry participants call as a skateboard approach. The difference is this is a completely built from scratch platform. And the rationale behind that is not just for CO2 compliance, but most importantly, to integrate what we call as the layer two. And in our definition, the layer two is an E&E &E architecture. In fact, radically different from what we see in the industry today. 
that is there uh, to have the compliance in terms of all ADAS ECUs as well as future autonomous sensors that is, for example, LIDARs and so on, including mapping solutions and so on. Today, we believe that majority of the focus is on a centralized architecture, domain control architecture. We believe in the future this is likely to shift towards a zonal central architecture, and we'll explain each of this as we go forward. But last but not least is the reason for the layer three, sorry, the layer one and the layer two that we talk about is to integrate the two most important ones. In fact, we have a lot of hype and a lot of focus is on today, which is the software platform and the cloud platform. For us, the software platform is nothing but the individual software stacks that is responsible for object detection, path planning, motion control, and classification. In short, this is what a GM cruise, what, or sorry, what a cruise is for a GM, or what an Argo is for a Ford. And what's important in the layer three to layer four in terms of classification is, we believe there is going to be a shift from a deterministic kind of model towards a more stochastic model, or in short, machine learning to some kind of AI. Our belief is that if you need to achieve the EV autonomous platform on which all these immersive and attractive autonomous and mass services are going to build, you need to be leaning on these four layers and most importantly, towards the right-hand side of this quadrant. To put that into perspective and to, and to rationalize this, on a hypothesis basis, if you imagine that the ideal world is indeed on the right-hand spectrum, that is a dedicated platform, a zonal architecture, and some kind of AI, both at the software as well as the cloud architecture, then important to understand is how is the industry faring today? The best way is plot where we see the competition moving. So best example is like, let's look at an automotive player, traditional automotive player, and the best example I can give you is Volkswagen, right? Volkswagen has moved away from its MEB towards a dedicated skateboard approach, uh, which is a dedicated EV platform, which they call as the MEB platform. Sure, they tick the box in the layer one on the right-hand side. But as soon as you move towards layer two and layer three, you will see they are towards the left-hand side of the quadrant, far away from the ideal position. This is less about Volkswagen not wanting being there, but rather about the legacy and the existing supply structure that is out there that is able to provide the solutions or quickly help players in the automotive industry transition towards the right-hand side. Now, this is a viewpoint of a traditional OEM, but this is not how tech players approach it, right? And the best example we can give of a tech player is what a Google is doing. Google doesn't have a platform, but they approach this from a tech perspective, so they sort this from a software. So when you look at Waymo, they come out with the entire autonomous software stack which is object detection, path planning, classification, and motion control. But as soon as they try and deploy these software in the existing E&E architecture, and you can see the best examples are already out there in terms of who they're partnering with, they are left wanting, is their software solutions or their sensor suit simply does not fit in into the E&E architecture, which is the old retired one. And you will see often players like Google kind of de-stack or decompartmentalize their software in order to have individual solutions for each. Now, no matter which way you try and look at, in a lot of ways what we see the traditional automotive industry as well as the disruptive tech companies, how they're trying to attack the space 
is to move towards the right hand side and this is what i call as an interesting moment in the automotive industry because it does not matter who wins the race here the question is if indeed any one of these players are able to shift towards the right hand side then majority of the market predictors out there that believe that the l5 solutions is only going to come post 2030 2035 might be quite mistaken in the view because we are already seeing players like google partner with magna in order to understand what it means from a layer 2 that is an ene architecture point of view or there are sufficient amount of contract manufacturers out there that can help these tech companies come into layer 1 so the question over here is who is winning the race and who is coming about and the key point that we want to mention here is unless these layer all these individual layers are tackled in in commonality then this mass proposition or this autonomous proposition that we talk about will not reach its fruition so just a simple example to show you over here is while the philosophy is one and the same the approach towards solving that problem is different so when you look at a player like tesla most likely an in-house solutions they are a tech company they approach it from a tech angle and majority of these competencies done are done in-house whereas players like bmw and toyota they realize that these solutions can no more be done in-house they need new partner so that the pace and the agility is maintained while they try and attack this very very interesting market so players like bmw what do they do they form consortiums where players like magna mobileye innovates aptiv are able to bring their individual competencies in both layer 3 and layer 2 in order to fast track these processes similarly with toyota you see interestingly they will par- partner with venture capital companies like softbank where through their partnerships they have formed a joint venture called monet and they are able to put their ev autonomous platform which many of you would have realized is the e pallet so that more b2b kind of services can be put and realized so the answer to the question is who is going to win the race well no one has a crystal ball but the evidence is very very clear every entity in the automotive industry have realized the importance of the four layers not in individuality but in totality that they have to address these four layers till that big mass market can be addressed which we call as the autonomous service business models and that is important because remember it is not a, just a tech game the tech is the basis on which we believe these competitors are likely to realize that potential as we believe there are roughly going to be around 12 services that we have clubbed here as you can see broadly under mobility vehicle services logistics and services and peripheral we believe that is going to be a 200 billion market by 2020 by 2030 sorry but very interesting is you're already seeing a lot of vehicle manufacturers try and enter the area under the mobility spectrum that is on the taxi shuttles or announced programs that they can uh, reveal such uh, benefits but for us interesting is the third pillar which we call as the logistics it is where for the first time beyond b to c they will move towards the b to b angle where partnering with players like dhl with amazon and so on they will be able to cater to more services and more markets that today players like uber didi etc are currently targeting like we said very very interesting but none of these services in our opinion can reach its maximum potential till those four layers are addressed now let's talk about each of these layers one by one to show you 
evidences whether indeed the industry is moving towards that right-hand side or not. And let's start with layer one, which is the EV platform. Remember, we talked about these platforms swinging between a conventional platform towards a more dedicated skateboard approach. How can we best represent this is, if you look at this, there are individual business models for each. The conventional platform, which are defined as existing platforms, but that have been retuned or re-engineered to meet CO2, is very much a short-term strategy. That is simply because no one has a crystal ball in terms of what the market size or the real potential of electric vehicles is going to be. So the best way to do that is cost synergies and work with existing platforms. So when you look at the Nissan Leaf, or Eve, these are not new platforms. They are conventional platforms that have been re-engineered. But as soon as you move from this and start talking about the other platforms, which is the multi-energy platforms, the best example that comes to my mind is BMW, right? The difference here is these are not conventional platforms. They are built from scratch. So the idea behind BMW's multi-energy platform is till the market reaches its potential, this platform can have a multi-energy services comprising of IC engines, plug-in hybrids, hybrids, or even battery electric vehicles, but all coming out from the same platform. But the way we see the industry move is towards our right-hand side, what we call as a dedicated or a skateboard approach. Of course, we've heard a lot about Tesla, but they are not the only ones out there. The key movement that we see, especially with Volkswagen and even their sister brands of Audi and Porsche through the PPE, is a clear indication that the skateboard approach is more than just a CO2. It is the basis on which this new radical E&E architectures can be integrated and most importantly recouped through very interesting services and business models. Very interestingly, we have put Rivian over here as well. Rivian, again, a skateboard approach, but the way we believe that they're going to go into the market is through partnership and licensing model, whereby the existing OEMs can use their platforms and quickly come on board into the EV spectrum. Now, here's an example to show you that this is not just an example with either BMW, Mercedes, or the players that we mentioned, like a Tesla uh, or a Rivian. Even if you look at the volume players like a GM, the Bolt that you see today, it is coming out from the Gamma G2C platform. But in the future, we have reasons to believe that they are going to go towards a dedicated platform. In fact, the BEV3 architecture, based on which very, very interesting models, including uh, certain Cadillac models that are going to come out, are going to be based on the dedicated platform. And you can already see that the basis for this is to build that power surplus architecture, which we call as the E&E architecture, on which new robust autonomous and connected solutions can be built. Now we can go on and on with several examples, but one thing to clearly show you the shift is an example of what, interestingly, the Audi group is doing as well, right? When you look at the Audi and the e-tron that is launched, again, that is not a new platform. It's a conventional platform that has been re-engineered. But the joint platform or the joint investment that Porsche and Audi does through the PPE is the basis on which this new dedicated platform and new interesting body styles and segments are actually going to come out. So again, evidence is to show you that the industry indeed is moving away from its short-term conventional platform fix towards a more dedicated or a skateboard platform approach. 
Now, just to bring that into conclusion is when we looked at some of the major OEMs and tried to understand is, is that really true? And what proportion of their sales mix or their service mix is going to come out from this dedicated platform? Then our viewpoint is by 2025, especially highlighted by the red line, that you can see anywhere between 20 to even 50% of the volumes of OEMs that is going to come out from dedicated or skateboard platforms is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, and for me, an evidence to show you that in the layer one, this is not a hypothesis anymore. Every OEM that we know have staked their claim or have made their intent very, very clear that the skateboard platform is not a CO2 compliance game. It is to ensure that a platform is sustainable and suitable on which what we believe is the most important ingredient, which is the E&E &E architecture, is going to be integrated and built. And who better to talk about this than our head of autonomous research, Arun. So I hand it over to Arun to take us through the layer two, which is about the E&E &E architecture and what this means for the players out there. So over to you, Arun. Thank you, Benny. Um, for us, the E&E &E architecture essentially engulfs um, the vehicle sensors and the enabling ECUs that are embedded into the uh, electric architecture within the vehicle. So today, traditionally, OEMs are already seeing an exponential increase in the number of systems and uh, functionalities that they embed into a vehicle. Standard systems today, you can see from uh, the architecture example shown that the ECU comes from a specific vendor but whereas the microcontrollers within them comes from uh, an alternate vendor and the software embedded into these ECUs come from probably a third party or developed in-house by the OEM or the TA1 supplier themselves. This approach is great if you want to scale uh, incrementally, increasing the number of functionalities in a vehicle, but that scale cannot go beyond a few new lines of CAN or Ethernet that are added to the E&E architecture. If you want to transform today's traditional ADAS systems to a fully functional level four autonomous driving solution, the approach to integrating and developing ECUs and software that's embedded into these ECUs will need to go through a transformational change. We believe that there are potentially going to be two extreme cases of how this transformation can happen. The first one, is a centralized domain controller approach, which we are seeing today many of the OEMs going towards, where there are domain ECUs that control uh, the functionality of an application, and then the functionality is transferred to individual ECUs and control units within a vehicle. There is also a very visionary approach which we categorize as a decentralized approach, where there is a master controller that uh, maybe one or two master controllers in a vehicle that controls every single functionality, thereby incorporating smart sensors into the vehicle that can help enable the single controller that capable of controlling every single functionality in the vehicle. While both of these approaches have their own benefits and uh, demerits, we believe the middle ground is potentially the best case scenario an industry can move towards. What we are seeing is there will be two types of applications that emerge. Applications that require very safety critical functionalities being embedded into the vehicle, but others that might not need that level of system criticality uh, embedded into the ECU. 
So what we see is benefits of both of these worlds being integrated into the vehicle. On the one side, we will see domain controller style systems coming into the vehicle where functions like interiors and infotainment are controlled by an individual domain controller and subsystems and sensors connecting and communicating with them. But on the other side, especially for safety critical functionalities like lane tracking or lane keeping, we will see individual ECUs, but also incorporation of smart sensors into this application, where you get not one, but two levels of redundancy at a system level and a function level integrated into the vehicle. So this is what we categorize as a hybrid approach, which are already showcased by companies like TTT Tech, uh, which will be incorporated in some of the future vehicles, which incorporates both safety and convenience and cost at the same value proposition. A good example of what you see here in the zonal architecture. It clearly differentiates uh, the emergence of a new communication protocol dedicated for specific domain controllers in the form of Ethernet, which you can see as the second uh, key domain controller mentioned here. But also what you will see is emergence of domain-based ECUs, where there are smart sensors uh, integrated into a domain ECU, all communicating to an advanced gateway module. The beauty of a zonal architecture is the capability to enable both dedicated Ethernet-based domain controllers, but also um, ECUs that can communicate with not just CAN lines, but also CAN, Ethernet, and FlexRay lines by incorporating smart sensors and redundancy ECUs into the same network. So this, we believe, is a good visual representation of how a future E&E architecture should look like in an idealistic manner to incorporate uh, both autonomous use cases, but also next generation connectivity and service use cases that Benny was mentioning in the beginning of the presentation. A good example of how we are seeing this migration taking place in the industry is what you see here with the Daimler Valence Partnership. While this is not a clear example of how automation is incorporated, this already shows you how an OEM is incorporating a change required within their, uh, within their traditional e, e architecture to incorporate the introduction of new systems from an infotainment and convenience standpoint. The key to note here is not what protocol they're using, but why they're using it. You will see here um, that the clear depiction and focus is on bidirectional communication and increased throughput of data within the vehicle itself, but with minimal change and cost impact to the E&E architecture that the OEM is incorporating into their vehicles. So this already shows that the change is essential, but how the change will be incorporated by each OEM will be very different based on the scale, the volume, and the type of use cases that they want to incorporate into their E&E architecture and future use cases for autonomous driving. So this is the E&E architecture and hardware side of the platform. The next key important side of the, uh, the value chain or uh, the platform is the software and service slide itself. What you will see here is that there will be a significant emergence of uh, incorporating artificial intelligence into onboard and offboard computing in the future. But here lies the complexity for OEMs. We are seeing many OEMs focusing on use cases dedicated to uh, city applications or urban applications. Good example is BMW. 
but there are other OEMs who are focusing on highway-based applications as their first foray into autonomous driving. Now, this is where the complexity gets interesting. Some OEMs who prefer the city route will need to rely more on addressing the edge cases earlier compared to some other OEMs who prefer to have a highway-based approach. And this is where we will see more and more incorporation of artificial intelligence, both on-board and off-board, based on how much cloud reliance an OEM has in, in order to address these edge cases. So here already we are seeing companies like BMW taking an onboard artificial intelligence-based approach, but others like Volvo, for example, looking at a more traditional machine learning-based approach to develop their software stack, because the number of edge cases that they have to tackle are lesser than the ones that BMW would need to, to focus on a city-based application. So within artificial intelligence itself, based on the example that we mentioned, we are seeing that within the four building blocks of software development, which is object detection, object classification, path planning, and motion control, it's the two middle blocks, which is object classification and path planning, where we are seeing the most amount of investment in AI uh, towards developing a platform for autonomous software. So we are seeing that in object-based modeling, in free space analysis, and in road modeling are the three most important areas of investment where AI is already incorporated by OEMs as a building block for developing their autonomous software stack. Now, you're seeing here that there are multiple pieces to the puzzle. We started with the vehicle architecture, and then with the E&E architecture, and with the software architecture. The approach of individual OEMs in each of those layers are very, very different, but also extremely cost-intensive and challenging, which is why we believe that eventually this market will be defined not by these technologies, but actually by where it will be deployed and, 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 and designed for, because that is the only way OEMs will be able to recoup the significant investment in cost that the OEMs will have to go, uh, will need to invest in in order to make this a realization. So what we are seeing is that traditionally there is a split between the ownership and usership um, style use cases. And especially if you remember in the initial section of the presentation, Benny mentioned the incorporation of aut automation into logistics and other mobility services. The biggest reason for that is cost recouping. We will see more and more OEMs using a commonalized platform to recoup cost of development, not just in traditional ownership style business models, but also in usership and logistics. To conclude the rest of the presentation, I would like to pass on to Benny Daniel. Thank you so much, Arun. And I think that's a very interesting point is, now when you look at the four layers that we defined, often we would be fooled by the fact that this has got to do with technologies and communication within the vehicle. And often people don't understand the complexity that goes behind the word mass. Uh, here at Frost & Sullivan, our consulting team, we have decoded what we believe are the individual communication or building blocks that a vehicle needs to communicate with in order to truly realize what we believe is going to be mass, right? It's not just about car sharing, ride sharing, or today's new subscription-based uh, uh, VOC model, not at all. For us, the answer behind why those four layers are so important is, now if you look at beyond the car itself, but the peripheral external environments that the vehicle needs to communicate with, today's E&E architecture or today's 
makeshift strategy to have sensors or additional communication lines will simply not cut it. Because if the OEMs of the future need to be that mass integrator, where they're able to communicate with technology prof uh, platform providers like Vulog, they need to communicate with transport operators, whether it is bus, airlines, to provide an ecosystem to the customers, or even communicate with the infrastructure gateways, for example, in EVs with charging environment, and most importantly all, provide a secure gateway, whether it's form of payments or whether it's in the form of services, you have now reasons to believe why that four layers that both Arun and myself mentioned is even more prominent because that's a 350 billion market out there when you look at mass. And that is what I believe that the industry is missing is if you go with the conventional platform and the conventional architecture, then forget an EV autonomous world. This mass proposition is a faraway reach. And to really amplify that even more is what's the end game of all of this, right? The end game of EV autonomous in our opinion, it's not a CO2 compliance. It's not a tech advantage or a tech differentiation game. Or neither is it about owning and entering every single entity of the mass ecosystem that we said here. Because owning and controlling each and every element of this ecosystem is, is, is going to be a very tough proposition. So there is, in our opinion, something more that is happening whereby without owning any of these entities, the player that will develop the mass solution will be able to control this. And the best way to do that is if you create a customer ID. Now this customer ID can manifest it itself in multiple ways. Now let me give you examples through two gateways, which we call as the infrastructure gateway and the mobility gateway. So the best way is today, there are a lot of market players out there for both of this, right? You have ABB, you have Charge Master, and for mobility, you have Lyft, you have Uber. But the point is, if you look at it from a customer journey point of view, each of these customers need to have individual access cards, individual IDs, and they need to have individual apps to access this. But that's the role of an integrator, sorry, an aggregator, and what we now call as an integrator is, how can they systematically and most importantly, exponentially improve this customer journey? by linking each of this, whether it's in the form of a service or whether it's in the form of accessibility, as one customer ID and gateway. Mm -hmm. This is what the new motion shell is trying to do, which is integrate multiple charging stations so that the customers don't have to worry about owning multiple uh, access cards or individual charging stations access. Or that's what is WIM, which is the app for Mass Global is trying to do, is integrate it through one app so that no matter what journey you want to do, you can do it through that surfaces. In our belief, and there are multiple evidences to show this, is that is what the OEMs are aiming to gain towards is, you don't need to own the service or you don't need to own the technology that goes behind it. But if you own the gateway, that becomes a transactional revenue point. And the best example is when we look at Porsche Connect. What Porsche Connect interestingly does is for every future Porsche EV customer, he doesn't have to worry about who's operating that charging station. But through that Porsche Connect, a Porsche customer can access any charging stations in Germany, and very interestingly, across 19 Europe, European countries. It provides the first roaming-based access. But in the end, this for every transaction this makes, 
there's a potential that the ID owner stands to gain a revenue either through transaction or through some kind of services. And for us, that is the message that we want to give is, gone are those days when to be or to extract revenues from these services that you need to have all in-house operations. Of course, players can do it, and we have seen evidences of this. But moving forward in this very complex but cost-intensive industry, which is the autonomous EV-connected uh, mass platform that we see is, the beauty and the acceleration will come is, who are the ones that are able to, to partner with companies or jointly able to develop so that when these services do eventually hit it, the OEMs control the ID and is able to get revenues through some kind of transaction. So to really summarize for us the presentation that we wanted to make over here is, an EV autonomous is not a technology game, it's not a platform game. There is a bigger game that they want, and the bigger game comes from OEMs realizing that their touch points with customers has been limited till now. That is, at the point of sales and at the point of services. They want to be part of the customer journey at several touch points. So for us, the biggest takeaway about why this EV autonomous platform is being invested in, and remember, I don't call this as an EV or an autonomous, I call it as an EV autonomous platform, the idea is to create an ecosystem, an ecosystem that the customers can seamlessly jump from one to another, whether it's a product or whether it's a service that he wants to interact with. And what the OEMs, I believe, want to control and gain is a customer ID. And the way that that can be enabled is by deploying a new E&E architecture based on which these power-intensive, power-hungry services and devices revolving or autonomous around electric and around connected can be deployed, and for which you need a power surplus EV autonomous platform. Like Arun mentioned, we believe the initial deployment of these technologies is going to be expensive. So you're going to see the initial set of deployment being used in the usership world where you where using the utilization, the high utilization model, the ROS can be much faster than the traditional ownership model. And lastly, the way we also believe is today a lot of OEMs compete based on segments or based on body styles. This is not the way we believe that the OEMs will compete in the future. The competition is going to be based on use cases. And like we said, it will be defined by mass and it will be defined around case. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, but from both Arun and my side, it's been a pleasure to present this to you. Uh, if further details are required, our contact details are available at the end of this presentation. But over to you, Anna. Thank you, Benny. Thank you, Arun. So I'd like to go over some next steps before we start our question and answer session. So I wanted to um, point out that under the Attachments tab on your webinar player, you can view our experts' insights from Frost & Sullivan and Leading Thought Leaders video. You can also click on the link to join us at our 11th Annual Intelligent Mobility Event, which brings together industry leaders, policymakers, visionaries, and investors to get insights into how and why the mobility industry is transforming what new business models are emerging, and where the real revenues lie. Network with your peers, learn about the future of mobility, and be inspired to lead from the front in this rapidly evolving space. So 
we definitely look forward to welcoming you to our event in uh, in July. And so at this point, I'm going to go ahead and start with our with our questions. So let's go ahead and get started with the first question. Our first question is, what is the time frame assumed for the platform share figures, uh, mix, skateboard? Sure, Anna. So as you can imagine, uh, the launch period for each of these OEMs vary, right? We expect the first skateboard approach from Volkswagen to materialize by end of this year uh, with a full launch by 2021. But the, the slide that we showed you had a 2025 timeline as the basis on which this analysis was done. So to answer your question, 2025 was the timeline on which that particular figure was shown. Thank you. Now, does a smart sensor imply computing performed in the, in the sensor, for example, a mobile eye camera? Yes, uh, so the Mobileye IQ5 is a good example of a smart sensor configuration, but we don't expect smart sensorization to be limited just to cameras in the future. Uh, we will see smart sensors on um, solid-state LIDARs. We are already seeing examples of that coming out of uh, the Bay Area, but also in multi-channel radars, we will see smart sensor configurations coming into the vehicle. So yes, the Mobileye IQ5 is a good example, but we will see other smart sensor configurations as well um, in the hybrid e, e architecture example or zonal e, e architecture example that we showed uh, in the slide. Thank you. And I see that we do not have any more questions. So this is going to conclude today's session. Now, for those of you that have joined us in the middle of the presentation, the on-demand recording will be available shortly after we have finished. And I have posted the contact details for Benny and also Arun. Should you have any further comments or if you want to speak with them one-on-one, -on -one, the details are posted on your screen. We want to thank everyone for joining us today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.